In the world of ski racing, particularly in our boards, skill and finesse are the names of the game. A driver that has these qualities in abundance is Tony Rowe. Fiercely loyal to the Edmundroo brand, Tony has had a long and impressive career in water ski racing, bringing many young skiers up through the ranks. In addition to driving, he's also turned his hand to building boats with his Sonic Boat brand. We hope you enjoy this episode of On The Rope with Tony Rowe. Well, my next guest on On The Rope podcast is Mr. Tony Rowe. Now, we've been to the top of the tree in terms of superclass drivers and competitors, but for me, the top of the tree is certainly the outboard classes, mate. Um, as you know, you and I have raced against each other a lot, and uh, I have a lot of respect for good outboard drivers. So, first of all, welcome to On The Rope. Thanks, Dave. Much appreciated. Mate, um, let's start at the beginning. Um, Tony Rowe, it goes back a few years now, but um, how'd you get into your initial, you know, water skiing and, and all that sort of fun stuff that we do? Started uh, water skiing with the family. Uh, learned to ski at uh, Warringah Basin when I was seven. Ah, oh, Warringah, yeah. Uh, my uncle taught me how to ski, and we followed on from there with family, friends, and we actually didn't own a boat for about... 10 years after I learned how to ski, yeah, uh, we went to Echuca, uh back in the, in the real early days when uh, you could uh, ski from Vic Park boat ramp. <laughs> <laughs> we won't give away your age, but sort of what roughly what year are we talking? Are we in the 70s or the 80s? Yeah, in the mid 70s. Yeah. Um, yeah, mid early to mid 70s started skiing uh, in at Echuca. Okay. And uh, we. We ended up uh, moving from the, the Vic Park Caravan Park out onto the river about uh, around about the, the late 70s, early 80s. So when you say moved out, you're talking like your parents had a caravan or something, no, you're camping? We, or we just stayed in a tent. Yeah, yeah. Pretty basic. Yep. You know, we didn't have a lot of money to be able to afford a caravan or anything at that stage. And yep. Then when we moved out to uh, an area, 10 Mile Reserve, um, which is out near where Gunther's block is yeah Craigie Gunther for the yeah. people listening yeah so, um, we were out there for about 15 years skiing out there before there was anybody there was no boat ramps we used to launch off the side of the river and yeah. uh, ski up there for a few weeks of a year you're still there now are you no we uh, we, we moved sort of back towards uh, into Banaka Forest which is yeah. back closer to Wills Bend area but yes yeah, pretty much grew up up there in that middle part of the the, the Southern 80 course you might call it but uh, yeah back in the early days we didn't uh, we didn't see the ski racing it wasn't until we were uh, you know late teenagers and driving that you know we, we'd be able to get ourselves back up the river to, to see a bit of the, the, the racing and uh, back in the, in the Rolco days and uh, the, the yeah. Before, it was before we started, we just used to watch it. Yeah, yeah. So like a lot of people, I guess. So growing up, skiing around the river, and um, you see what some pretty fast boats, probably practicing too. Like a lot of us used to see, you know, guys going up and down practicing thing. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty exciting. You know, even now it puts air on the back of your neck when you hear a boat coming yeah. down the river in the morning. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we moved from there to a uh, uh, motorbike race, motocross race for okay. quite a long time, and and. We would go to Mildura to do the Supercross, and the, we raced on Saturday night. And then on Sunday, on our way back to Echuca, we'd always pull up a goal goal and watch the watch the ski race. Oh, right, okay. So yeah. we did uh, we did a few years of that, and then not you know had to work pretty hard at riding a motorbike <laughs> fast. So it was it was not a not a lot of natural ability there. Oh, I don't know about that. Actually, that. And just to go off on a little tangent for a moment, but I reckon a lot of the good outboard drivers have all come from like a dirt bike background. I reckon there's some sort of correlation there. Yeah, there's a lot. But back in the in the days of the Diamond Valley Motocross Club, there's uh, there was several guys within that area that went into ski racing. Uh, Brendan Walsh with uh, the Real McCoy yes. was in the same club that we were in and right. was a motocross racer as well. Yeah. So there, there's quite a few guys that moved through. I know Brett McKinley in the early days yeah. was a motocross racer. He raced at the same time. Brad Witherden. Yeah, and Brad was uh, a top so, boat driver, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, so there was quite a few guys that, that went from motocross into ski racing and um, I was I seem to have been sucked in the longest. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so you're racing in Mildura the the bikes, but then you see the Mildura 100, pretty cool race, I've got to say. So yeah. is that what sparks the interest? Like, what what? How do you go from going this looks pretty cool to 
running a boat or skiing or what did you do? Well, it, it got to the point where the motocross racing was starting to wear the body out a bit. Uh, with work, being a carpenter, it was physically tough. Demanding, yeah. yeah. So uh, I ended up uh, seeing a, a boat up at, uh, it was Jack Skipper's at Bry Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, had a, he had a 1650 bullet up there. Right. That was in the... Because he, he had Harada, of course, back in the, yeah. the day, Jack and his daughter Jody, who was a top ski racer That's as well. That's right. So yeah. we I ended up looking at that boat, and that was the first, I ended up buying it, and we right. thought with my brothers and, and Kirky, um, we'll give the we'll give the Southern 80 a shot. <laughs> as as you what, what engine are we running on this 1650 bullet? A 175 Yamaha. Okay, so you started off with the Yamaha just organically, that was... Yeah, it was just a social boat, it, uh, the motor bolted straight to the transom, yeah. uh, we knew nothing about setup, but <laughs> we'd been playing around in a, in a 14 foot stiletto, <laughs> with the old uh, cable steering with the springs on it, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. scaring ourselves. Was it the SR? Yeah. It was, so it had the fast back on it. Very yeah. cool, very yeah, cool. with an 85 Evinrude, first cool. early Evinrude. There you go. And uh, went from uh, that boat, we, we did some practicing before the, yeah. the 80, put our yeah. entry in. And you're practicing in a chuker, I take yeah, it? Yeah, just at Christmas yeah. time. Yeah. You know, just had a social prop on it, and like we didn't really know too much about it. What did you think when you first was. jumped in a 1650 bullet and, and it wanted to chime walk everywhere? And Well, it was better than the stiletto. Put it <laughs> It was much easier to drive than a stiletto, but uh, yeah, once again, still the setup of the boat. You know, we didn't know much, and uh, you know, just drove it to you know what we thought was fast, but really wasn't. Yeah. So we um, we we practice. Uh, Steve, my brother, skied with Martin. Uh, Martin skied, I think. Your other uh, brother, Martin. Yeah. Other brother Martin and um, Rod Daniels. I don't know if anybody remembers Rod. I'm Daniels. sure there'll be people yeah. listening to the podcast who remember Rod. Yeah. yeah. So um, we ended up uh, getting to the start line, and we'd been told that we had to buy a race prop if we were going to race. So <laughs> I bought a race prop. <laughs> who, who tells you this? Some expert. There's an expert somewhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we um, we ended up buying a race prop, but we went out to the start line without really doing any testing with this race prop, uh, and it wouldn't yeah. pull the skis out yep. of the water. That old chestnut. Yeah. Yep. So we ended up spending uh, over an hour on the start line trying to get the skis <laughs> out of the water. We ended up going around the corner, and uh, we did three jump starts off the bank before we got going. <laughs> Back in the day when you could do that sort of stuff. Yeah. Whereas now it's sort of, you know, you get a few shots and you've got to pull out. So <laughs> well, we that... ended up, uh, yeah, we ended up running running down there. We were a bit disappointed with the, the whole day and yep. poor old skiers were worn out from about 500 <laughs> starts. And... Well, I can't imagine Stephen being ever worn out, <laughs> especially when he was young. Well, he was, yeah, he, they, none of them were happy after that. <laughs> Beer but fixes. It was that dog with a bone, you know, we persisted yeah. and uh, at least we finished our first So what year was that one, Rowie? Do you know? Can you remember? 1987. 87, okay. Yeah. So it's going back a bit. So most people will know you for your 1750 bullet, I suppose. So when did that, tra- was there a transition from that or was there something else in between? What happened there? No, we, we went to, the Mildura 100 race was the next one after that at Easter and we went up there and... and did the race, ended up buying a jack and plate, set the boat up a bit more, got a bit more information from people that sort of knew what they were talking about. <laughs> Jacking plate for people listening, it allows you to alter the height of the engine, which is yeah. critical in outboard racing. Yeah, so we ended up uh, placing second in our second race. Yeah, and that okay. really, that was it, we were hooked after Spurred that. Spurred you on. Yeah. And yeah. we did that race, between that race, uh, the Easter race and the following season, uh, I ended up catching up with um, what is it, what's his name, Stevenson. Jeff uh, Stevenson, Jeff yeah, who was the bullet dealer for Melbourne out there in Oakley in Centre yeah, Road, yeah, Bell yep. Marine there, and yeah. uh, ended up going down there and picking up a uh, one of the Mercury Racing 1750s yeah. off the floor, brand new. Yes, um, traded in my 1650. <laughs> ended up putting the 175 on that. We did the. Uh, 
the Southern 80 the following year in social. It was one of the first races Jason Cartledge skied with us. Really? There you go. And uh, we ended up winning the class. So it was like from then on we were really, really yeah, hooked. Now we're hooked. <laughs> now we've, we've got a good boat. It's fast. We're winning stuff. Yeah. We won the point. We did the point score series with Steve skiing. We won 175 class that year as well. I was going to ask you about that because obviously your first race was a Southern 80 going back to your little 1650. You're obviously coming through the system now. I mean, we're racing point score races, you know, we, we actually, because a lot of people go into the Southern 80 thing, that's the only race in the world, you know, that's what we're going to do. And then you realise there's this whole world of racing like v, VSTC, VWSA, there's there's late races everywhere, there's river races everywhere. And, yeah. You know, was that the whole, you know, then then it's an explosion of we're just going racing every weekend? Yeah, we uh, we did some VSTC races at uh, Waranga Basin, Epilock. Um, we did the we did our very first race um, at Lake Cooper when that started yeah. with the VWSA. Nineteen ninety one. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, all the years sort of blew. blew they do. Out. I only know because I was talking to Brett Deminks in another podcast earlier, and I started there in ninety two, ninety three season. So, and he said start the year before. So about ninety one it would have been. Yeah. So we did uh, we did many of the lake races, and that was sort of how we learnt to set the boat up, how to learn how to drive, learn how to ski uh, in in different conditions. Um, and it was really a, a family and a couple of mates like what yeah. most people, uh, you know, want to go ski racing do. And, you know, the fun and the enjoyment out of out of just being with your mates was always really, really good. And, yeah, yeah. You obviously was, adapted to the boat pretty well. And, and in those days, it was a... A really competitive and strong 175 category, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. The um, that that bullet boat was a that was a, a great boat. It, mm. it worked straight away. So yeah, it wasn't a hell of a lot that we had to do. <laughs> um, we, we ran the 175 until '92. Uh, um, we actually won the point score series one year with wow. the, with that. Um, in the 175. Then we went to the Everton Road OMC, had a, a sponsorship program in the very early 90s. Now you've, uh, you've touched on this, and I'll, this is one of my major questions because there's been a massive association with you and OMC, BRP, Everton Road, Johnson. Yeah. How did that kick off? Well, it was it was part of the, the program that they, they offered to everybody to. These were Vindicators? They were the Vindicators. Yeah, the which was the new. 225 Vindicator? Yep. Um, it was a newish engine at the time, uh, and the competition between Mercury and Evinrude was getting pretty healthy at that stage. Really strong, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and I couldn't afford to buy a new engine without some form of assistance. So yeah, uh, that the the small discount that was offered and the support through their dealer network. Uh, was enough for me to be able to afford to get into the smock class, which is 225 class back in those days. 235 originally, two, three, wasn't it? Yeah. Except there was no 235s around then. I think it was made for those old jumbos back in the day, but yeah. by the time we got to smock, it was, it was yeah, 225 was the engine to have, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, so we, we started with that. I built a really good relationship with uh, Russell Steedman from OMC, and he was my contact there. He had advice to help us with the engine. Um, back in those days, they were carburetted, so yeah, it was, yeah. you, know, you had to get the jetting right, and you know, much easier to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> if I could only afford to. Uh, that must have been a thing for you though like when you know because those engines were heavy same as the three litre Mercury's I mean you you'll muck around with a well probably the Yamaha was probably a little bit heavier than a Merc anyway but then to go to this big monster on the back of a 1750 you must have been one of the first guys to actually attempt that yeah we, we were um, we couldn't run the jacking plate on it made the boat handle um, didn't, didn't handle good yeah, enough okay. to be able to race, so we ended up mounting it on a plate directly to the transom. Yeah. So we had no adjustability other than you know some holes that you would drill, but yeah. we hit the hit the hit it right on the target first time. So uh, we got the engine height right. Yeah. Uh, the boat handled well through, through the um, 
through the, the rough water, it was still good in the rivers. Once again, it's a lot to do with the, the boat. The boat was well balanced right yeah. from the start. Um, Were you scared back here down the ramp the first time? Thinking, is this thing going to sink? No, it, it sat it sat in the water fine. You know, yeah. it was. It did, but when you first bolted it on, was it like, oh god, what's going to happen here? Or? Yeah, but the, the the Yamaha being a V six as well, it was sort mm. of a similar size. Um, the weight wasn't that much different. Moving it closer to the boat actually made the boat sit better. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. And we ended up uh, trying all sorts of things, trying to you know keep up with everybody. <laughs> it was it was a hard it was hard work at that time because it was super competitive. It was. I mean, you know, some of the names that are around. I guess the Darren Robinsons. You know, he was yeah. really competitive uh, there. Um, trying to think. You know, there was all those concept boats as well. You know, the Glen Campbell. Glen Campbell, and uh, and he built a whole heap of them. There was frozen assets and yeah. all these super quick smock boats. Smock was, you know, was up until the last few years the category in my mind. It was. It was. Uh, it, it was. It was a class that had lots of high end runners. Uh, if you got a good result, it was uh, very satisfying. So, um, you know, we, we cut our teeth really in that with uh, Steve Skiing, and he was starting to move into the unlimited boats and eight litres as well at that time. So, you know, having a, a handy skier um, <laughs> doesn't was, hurt. Was beneficial. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> hurt. So you just had to find good. someone for the rivers, though. Yeah, the rivers, uh, yeah, the rivers we ran with. Um, uh, just seasoned guys that were that didn't want to run at that top end. Yeah. You know, so they were, you know, Andy Ellis. We had him for many years. Yeah. Cracker. Um, Cracker. You know, we had uh, we had some great skiers over the time, and you have. You know, there's many names that uh, that are there, and uh, it's been you know it was always enjoyable. You try and mention them all, and you'll forget half of them. Yeah. <laughs> just start offending people, so it's like. But no, it was always appreciated that you know they they put the time in. But you know, we we ended up putting uh, you know their time into young skiers, you know kids coming out of under thirteens that needed to have a run a bit quicker. That uh, you know the bigger guys you know didn't want to tell them. So we we put a few years in, and you know Daniel Ship and Luke Pledger you know jumped yeah. on board with us in the yep. early early years out of Cooper there, and uh, you towed them through for many years and that always help us out if we got short of a skier so it's an investment great. isn't it, it it's is. an investment yeah when you need a good and i've been the same you know you get a good good skier on the go and they'll go off and do their super class thing but you can always say hey remember where you came from son i need yeah. a smock skier for the nationals or whatever yeah i always used to say that if you wanted to be a good skier you always had to do at least one lake race beyond an outdoor <laughs> and that's me yeah that's exactly uh, right uh, that, that's it's true though we and we see a lot now. I mean, well, tell me your thoughts. You know, young skiers nowadays. I mean, to me, they just all seem to want to get behind a big boat really, really early and quick. Yeah, they um, look. The big boats now leave a you know a pretty good wash, so you can do you know fifteen mile an hour faster than what an outboard will do, and it's an easier run. Yeah. So, uh, but it's still, you know, I think it's an investment in long term. If you want to be good skier, you know, to be able to be fast behind a a fast single rig outboard, whether it's a you know a smock or F two or a mock boat, whatever it is, with a good crew, yeah, uh, is really beneficial for you to, yeah. as as a skier coming through. And you know, recently we've towed you know young Jake Clancy through from yeah his first ski <laughs> right through to you know he's. I don't know, he's going to be a superstar. He's going to be a good skier. We're going to get to them, but that's a bit later on in your story. So I'm yeah. going to uh, just keep us on the tangent for a moment because, I mean, you talk about those skiers, Daniel Ship. You know, um, I think did you tow, tow Jamie Oliver? I'm sure you probably have at some point I in have your towed, life. Towed Jamie Oliver, Oliver at a couple of the Australian titles back in the in the early days. Yeah. Um, Mid nineties. Yeah. Uh, it, so we got we got an opportunity to be able to, uh, you know. Tow some, tow some great skiers and yeah. You know, but most of the skiing that was done behind us was was Steve. You know, he, he yeah. would always invest his time and come back and ski with us. We had no choice. He's yeah. your brother, eh? No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tell me about, I know there was a point there, and I'm sure there was a little mercury offer that got put on the table for you. Yeah. What happened there, and how did that come, or not come about in the end, I guess? From Simon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was an offer, and um, I look back at it now, and I I, I, I don't regret any decisions that I've made, but... Yeah, it would have been a it would have been a good a good thing to have done. Yeah. Um, I I ended up driving uh, Kane with Phil Woods rang and uh, and said you know would you drive the boat and that was that was getting towards the end of my bullet seventeen fifty yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, the we we built a mock motor and look it didn't really perform and you know started yeah. losing a little bit of interest and. Yeah, that happens when you're spending money and not getting results, eh? Yeah, that's right. And the the offer from uh, Phil Woods and Nick Groves came to drive uh, a cyclone that they'd bought yeah. with a, a 225 Mariner on it. And one of the early races uh, was at Sydney Bridge and we ended up having Ash, Ash Mansfield observe for me. Okay. In that, that Wild race. man himself. Yeah. And... Uh, it was, you know, I, I got along really well with Ash. I thought he was a, you know, yeah. terrific guy. I think everyone did. Yeah. Everyone knew he was crazy. Yeah. But everyone no, got along well. It was, it was good. He lived near me, so we'd catch up pretty regularly. Another good bike rider. Yep, yeah. for sure. And uh, we, we did that race, and uh, the, I think we ended up third. Yep. Third or fourth. It wasn't a result. It was when the 250s were coming in. Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, Nick and, and Phil doing a deal in the car park up at, at uh, Sydney to have a 250 on the, <laughs> on the boat for the next race. So we ended up getting a, a Merc 250 on it. Yep. And we did the, um, the, the next race was the, uh, the Southern 80. I think yep. around about 90, uh, 2007. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yep. And we won Social and Expert. Yeah, there you go. First, first run out. And it was, it was just, yeah, it was awesome. What do you think? What did you think jumping into the cyclone? Because I've driven those cyclones as well. They're quite a different beast to what you had been driving. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It, it took a little bit of uh, re-educating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I found they felt a little top-heavy compared to a bullet. Yeah, it, look, we'd we'd done a fair bit of testing up the river because Nick and Phil lived at Echuca. So, you know, we, we went up there for several weekends setting up props and getting engine heights right and and figuring out what it liked and what it didn't like and then just sort of, you know, you know picking its its good points and yeah. trying to look after its bad points. And, <laughs> you know, we, we had a great year that year. We, uh, we won Robinvale, I think, well, second in Robinvale, one Mildura, social and expert as well. So that was, um, you know, that was a really a good result and uh, that sort of put me into a cyclone after that for several years. Yeah, and, because uh, you then, El Loco, I think? Yeah, it was the old El Loco. It was, yeah. a, it was a really lightweight cyclone. Yeah. Um, it, was, it, was, it was quick. Um, didn't like the lakes because it was a bit light. <laughs> so it was we, mild, we mate. ended up doing, we didn't do any lake racing for about six years with that boat. Yeah, we just did okay. the rivers only, yeah. and uh, just set it up as a river specialist boat. Yep, and uh, that that uh, with an Evinrude on it, and we look, we did, we had some good results, and you know our yeah. major competition back then was uh, Brad Rose in uh, in his boat Stalker. Stalker, yeah, and uh, he was another Evinrude guy, and look, Evinrude were pretty pretty uh, strong in the in the sport at that stage with the two hundred and fifty HO, and. Uh, it, it sort of it, it was as intense as the early days of, of yeah. uh, smock racing so it was super competitive uh, to get a result and you had to work at 110 percent yeah uh, you know and at that stage I started towing my son Aiden um, as well with with Andy Ellis and it was you know we, we ended up with some good results and uh, you know it was it was a great period as well oh well and i was running around out there with you not probably at your level but those races were like you say absolutely intense weren't they i mean and and i think the thing for for me watching you guys go around was how calculated you were uh you know you you just didn't make mistakes from what i could see and i'm sure in the boat there were some wild moments and whatever but 
from someone trying to beat you, you're going, when I made a mistake, that's when Tony got another 100 metres on me, you know, and he just didn't make those mistakes. Yeah. Is well, that something I, that you, you really worked on? Yeah, look, it was always about being as smooth as you can, smooth as fast. Um, it was, you know, knowing the limit without going past that. Sometimes you get beaten by somebody that would push further and harder than I was prepared to. Yeah. And, and you wear that, you know, without any issues because yeah. you know you were beaten by a better person on the day and yeah and uh you know you just decide that you know the cards will roll your way another day you know and you you just you fight to move on and live uh, to fight another day you live to fight another day that's it yeah you know? it, it was all it's the, the challenges is what it's about you know the, to get the best out of you your boat your team um, if something wasn't working, you know, it was always, you know, it was disappointing. So you go back and work on yeah. fixing that. Um, you know, we had we had an exceptionally low budget to, to race with. Yeah, you know, it was. That was a beautiful thing about Smock. I mean, I had no budget, and we could still go and be competitive. You know, yeah. if you were, if you had your boat sorted and you drove it well, obviously, without saying, need a good skier. You know, that's number one priority. You have to have the top skier. But all those guys did, didn't they? Yeah, everybody would pick skiers that were, well, good enough to be in a top three in Unlimited. Yeah. You know, to be able to go and, you know, race hard at a, at a lake. And did, did you ever think going around, drive around, man, how's this dude hanging on, like, with what I'm doing right now? Yeah. <laughs> Many a time. And uh, they'd, uh, they would sometimes express it when they got back home. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, uh, when, when we, the better the boat went, obviously the the faster we would go um and especially in in the, the lakes it was you know steve's ability to be able to ski through rough water was Phenomenal. outstanding yeah he's a absolutely man of steel yeah. superman yeah so that, you know that was very much the part of the package yeah you know, and observing and uh you know the, that you know that Tell me about the Iceman because is everything. Yeah, I mean, you, you and the Iceman are like peas in a pod. It's all, it's like a marriage, isn't it? I mean, you <laughs> it is really a, it is to a point. Um, you know, I've known Ian since I was about eight or nine. Yeah, uh, our fathers worked together. Okay, yeah, there you go. That's, that's yeah. how we. So it's not met. a ski racing connection; it's a life connection. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we would social ski. We did all of that. He used to come and take photos at the supercrosses and the motocross oh, racing okay. as well. Yeah, you know, he was part of that that crew. Yeah, um, with all of us, you know, right from the start. So it's the the ski racing side of it is, uh, you know, a passion of his, the same as as mine. Yeah, we've grown up water yeah. skiing. Yeah, and you know the communication. And the learning experiences of, of racing, of you know, we've we've learnt together. Yeah, yeah. Um, and really, with the, with Steve skiing and Ian observing and, and I driving, um, it, the, that package came through together. Yeah, you know, yeah. You without did. without one of us, it was never quite right. You know, for the and, teams listening. That's how you become a good team. Yeah. Not by chopping and changing. You might have a problem. You might have an issue. You sort it out. You make yourselves better. You move on, and you've been doing that for twenty plus years. Yeah, thirty. Thirty plus. Years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate, I don't make you feel old. But it's a great <laughs> still got here. You're going. You're ahead of me. But I gave the Ice Man his name, the Ice Man, mm-hmm. and uh, it's because I've had him observed for me. I've been very lucky. He's observed yeah. in my boat a few times. But when we've raced you and been hard at it and side by side and it's all been going on, he just looks like he's sitting there. Cool and calm. Yeah, yeah. and he is, isn't he? Yes. He, uh, he, he, most of the time when I race, I'm pretty quiet while I'm driving, unless on those really intense races where you know I need to know everything that's yeah. going on around me and... And yeah, he's um, he has to listen to some stuff. That's <laughs> not always that pleasant. So uh, you know, and and it, to be honest, it, it makes us all better. You know, yeah, to, absolutely. To be able to race and be side by side another competitor, um, you know, there's a lot of trust 
in each other to be able to do that. There is. And it's not only within our own crew, but it's within the crew that you're racing side by side. So, you know, there's some people that, you know, you, you give a bit more space than others. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just, you, you, you know who your true, yeah. um, you know, fellow person that you can race side by side that, you know, cares as much about you as you are about them. Yeah. You're giving plenty of respect. So it's good. And I, that's how I've always felt about racing is you, you know, even though you're one of those Evanry guys, you know. <laughs> but you can, we can run side by side, and, and it doesn't mean that you don't make a mistake. No. You know, sometimes I'll make a mistake, you'll make a mistake, but if that happens, the other guy respects the fact that, oh, he's, he's run a bit wide here, I'll just give him a little bit of room and then we'll get back into it, you know, rather, where some guys might not afford you the courtesy, you know. Yeah. So we, 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 you just you learn over time of you know where you need to position yourself when you when you race and uh, you know but you know I rely you know on Kirby as a, the observer for everything that goes on in the boat. Yeah, no, you know, it's I I'm looking forward. All I'm doing is pushing the boat and making sure the skier, you know, if they're going to hit bumps, they, you know, we we back off before it. Yeah and then go because he can't see what's in front of him and I can't see what's behind me so <laughs> you know, we've you know we've got a, a very healthy yeah mutual respect for and each that's other. what you need yeah, that's yeah. what you need mate um trans tasman challenge i mean we love it because an outboard event but it's been a constant right throughout your career it, there's been some interesting times hasn't there yeah. trans tasman yeah yeah we've had uh i did some in the early days with the with the bullet and the 225 and um towed uh, Daniel Ship around in in one of them, yep. and yeah, we had a we had an encounter with the, one of the Kiwi blokes <laughs> at the end of it that wasn't very pleasant. Well, let's um, talk about that. I mean, there's you know there's this whole thing that the boats have to be the same boat from day one to day two. I think did you break a gearbox? Yeah, I did. Okay, so you got to keep the boat on the water. And we had to t- tell the folks that story. Well, we... You don't have to name names unless you want to. No, on the, on the, it's two days of racing. So on the Saturday, we ran around towing the New Zealand skier and uh, we ended up breaking a gearbox in the race after, which, um, you know, anybody that knows an Evernoo, there's there's not many options for gearboxes. Yeah, you know, there's, there's not only, everywhere. It's pretty only one and one gear ratio and if it fits it that's it that's yeah 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 so the following day we got a lend of a gearbox from dick mitchell who was a, a yeah great man yeah it was a mock gearbox yeah uh it just had low water pickups in it but everything else and we were at greens lake and he's an achuka boy so obviously there yeah. was that closeness that you could actually get it yeah so i ended up calling up dick and said have you got a uh, spare gearbox that i can borrow for the weekend or for the day and he said yep yeah, no problem so we got it all approved by everybody <laughs> on both sides and said yeah no, we all understand what the what the deal is and we put it on and the, the other thing while we were up there, we at, at Dick's place, we ended up picking up three other propellers. And yep. uh, in the process of the gearbox deciding to part ways with the rest of the motor, it took a prop with it as well. Okay, so, so yeah. we had to borrow a propeller for the next day. So we put three different propellers through it in the morning, picked one, we did one lap with each prop, really didn't know what it was going to do, what the effect was yeah. going to be. Um, and as it turned out, it was a little bit quicker than what we'd run the day before, and you know, we ended up getting <laughs> accused of, of uh, trying to sabotage the event. Yeah. It was nothing other than uh, you know, just trying to do the right thing and, yeah. and uh, get the skiers on the water and, and compete. And I remember that at the time, been, mate. It could have been the other way around. It could have yeah. been the Victorian skiers. Yeah. That, you know, I, I think probably sometimes the parents get a little bit ahead of themselves in not just trans-Tasman, ski racing in general. Yeah, well, look, most of the time it's it's pretty good. It's pretty healthy. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, in the last several years, the you know, if, if a kid's needing a ski and you can help them out, the the kids and the parents are so appreciative of it. You know, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's been, it's been a pleasure to actually tow the kids and give them... Yeah, you know, uh, an opportunity to get out and have a ski, and and uh, you know sometimes 
they haven't done much outboard skiing. Mm. You know, so they get out, they have a, a run behind an outboard boat, and um, you know, we look after them. <laughs> We're pretty happy we haven't dropped one that uh, that's you know hasn't decided to jump off themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. It's an interesting point you make too. I can't remember, and I'm sure it's happened in your thirty plus year career. But injuries, skier injuries, have you ever had anything go on? Um, nothing, nothing severe. Actually, my neighbour Lee Freeman, who runs Burnham Wood. I know Lee, and, yes. Uh, yep. We ended up uh, towing him in 60 mile an hour for a few years at the yeah, lakes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we took off at the start of one of the races and he fell off. <laughs> and he... He ended up cracking a bone in his leg. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> he wasn't in a cast or anything, but that's about this you know, as far as I can think at the moment. Yeah, this is the worst injury that, well, that we've had. There's uh, nothing that comes straight to mind that oh my god, well then you probably had a pretty good go. Yeah, nothing, nothing, uh, you know, over the top. And look, it, it, I'm sure that I've had a skier fall off and has hurt themselves, you know, to some point. But yeah, you know, over a long time, their memories faded. So. <laughs> Mate, you've um you've done a lot throughout the sport, and I always respect guys that have just not taken from the sport. And when I say that, you know, go out, race your boat, take trophies home, and and you know you're the hero. You've done this and you've done that because at the end of the day, we're an amateur sport, and we all know that doesn't happen without volunteers. Mm. Um, first of all, congratulations on your nomination Hall of Fame Southern Eighty. That yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and, yeah, that was uh, it was flattering. And, yeah, you know that's that's just being a, a long term competitor. Uh, fortunate enough, you know, we we've had some records there. We've won the, our class there. Can you remember how times. many times? No, can't remember the number. No, <laughs> I could. I wasn't going to search through all the records and try and tick off everyone. So there's a few. So it's it's yeah. It's been good, you know, and that's that's always been a pinnacle race, which it is for most people. You know, the 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 drivers race, especially trying to get an outboard down there. It's just so hard. I remember you telling me about your philosophy. I think you 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 tend to run smaller props at the eighty, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Just you didn't need top end speed as much, but you know that that's sort of proven a little wrong lately. You know, you do <laughs> need a bit more speed, but you need good cornering speed. It yeah. just needs to be consistent. And the um, new boats now too are a different kettle of fish as well. Yeah, the bigger boats are they're they're, they're, they're different to get down. That you know the seven eight fifty bullet was that was. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we did, we, I raced that boat for 17 years. Yeah. And we had a few different motors on it, mostly smock motors. Yep. You know, we ended up setting the record twice there in that boat. It's still the current 225 record. Yeah. Um, there and you even go. with the 250, yeah, you know, that, the times that we did, you know, they've, they've been hard to beat that we did Cracking. with the 225. Yeah. You know? What's your best time of the 80? It's sub 40. Four, we did a, uh, in the, with the 225, we ended up with a 4039. Yep. And then the best I've done in the 250 is 40.10 or something or other. Yeah, quick. Yeah. You know, that run, we passed two boats. So it was like... Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. It was, that was... I think we ended up second with that time. Sean with Little Man beat us down there. But, you know, it was... It was satisfying to get a great time, but disappointing that we, you know, ended up catching slower boats. That, yeah, that's that, always the thing, isn't it? It's always a hit and miss, and you know, the the unexpected year where you, you think you're going to have a bad run, you 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 have a great run, and, <laughs> and vice versa. So you can't plan it, can you? No, and it's a twelve month wait for the next time. Yeah, so <laughs> yes, it keeps you keeps you coming back. Yeah, absolutely. The reason I was going down that path, and I'm sorry, got a bit distracted, but that's okay. This podcast goes off on all sorts of tangents sometimes, yeah. but um, you spend a bit of time on the board. Um, I don't think that ended with you being particularly happy with how things went, but tell me about, about that and, and your thoughts of being on the board and where SRV was heading at the time. Um, yeah, I got, a, I got talked into getting onto the board for SRV and then put onto the SRA board as well. Yeah. And unfortunately at that time is when we were having the, we had a lot of accidents and deaths with the, the helmets and, you know. Very tough Things time. needed to yep. change. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a really tough environment to be, you know, on a, on a board and, you know, you sort of felt like you, you, you had a, you had a, you had to, something had to change, you know, yeah. like it yeah. just couldn't keep going the way it was going. And yeah. 
um, you know, some decisions were, were made and you know, we started a safety committee with uh, Terry Welsh, um, you know, which enforced some rules, um, some more rules that I'd you know, still like to see brought in. But you know, the, the, uh, the, the drive for change you know, upsets people. Yeah, of course. And what what would be the biggest thing that you think that you, we could implement? The number one thing on your menu of, of things that could help. I think uh, a, a scaling licensing yeah. set up for you know drivers and observers and, and skiers. Yeah, well, we do. We see guys. You know, you you can just go and jump in a big boat. Yeah. Without really any experience, can you? Yeah, and it, it needs to be um, similar to how motorsport. In general runs um, it's it, it's something that needs to be brought up I've, I've talked to cam about it yeah a couple of years ago so this these things are, are not not thought of you yeah know, they're thought of their table they get put to the you know to the side while a, you know you know a, a, another issue is dealt with and, yeah. and oh I made it had so many issues to deal with yeah, it's been. so you know and th- th- there's a time and a place for you know it to be discussed but um, yeah I think I think a proper licensing and scaled licensing yeah uh, is, is a, a responsible um, move forward for the sport yeah uh, and not hard to do no it is, know, it's not it's, a big ticket item no and it doesn't cost anything yeah. to do it's uh, it's it, it shouldn't upset anybody, you know, because so. as long as it's laid out on the table before you start, yeah, yeah, and everybody knows what they've got and where they're going and uh, how to get there. You know, there needs to be a proper path. Like you say, in, in motorsport, no one goes out and buys a top fuel dragster because they know that they're not allowed to drive it. That's right. You know, so they go into a lower class and they work their way through and then they buy their top fuel dragster yeah, once Yeah, look, even, it, it, it's not so much about telling people what sort of boat they can buy or you know how much horsepower they can have it's just about a it's about a, a learning process of, of learning how to you know operate that boat and and earn yourself the right to be able to go faster in that boat yeah and you know with with making it safe and and you know as you progress forward you are more educated uh, with safety processes and and so on. Yeah, I, mate, I I jumped into a stern drive boat when Steve Ship built one. You know, supercharged boat. Now it wasn't a super fast boat, but it did a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. The one thing for me that, or because I, you know, we sit back, we are those big boat guys. You know, whatever they they're easy to drive compared to our bullets. And in a lot of respects, they are. But the one thing that really rammed home to me was how fast the turn boys come at you. Yeah. And having your reaction time to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and that's something that really, yeah, you're right. If you don't build up to that, there's you've got problems, haven't you? That's right. It also um, also uh, helps for skiers to be able to move their way forward as well. And you know, it, it's a you know, once again, if you're a good skier or even a skier that's been out of the sport for a while that used to ski at unlimited speed, you know, you need to requalify to you know be able to get back out there and do that sort of stuff. I think you know, it's it's a recipe for disaster. Where people think they can do something, yeah, their ability yeah. confused really with their aspirations. That's it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't want that, mate. Let's move on to uh, you know, we're going through so you've driven the old locos, the cyclones, you've had that sort of period where you had the mock engine on the bullet, and, and you know, that didn't really wasn't happening the way you wanted to. Good drivers always get offered drives of other people's boats, that's what happened to you, but then you've moved through. Tell me about how the sonic boat thing all came about. Uh, after several years of racing uh, the Cyclone, um, I wanted to get back into lake racing. So the the idea was potentially to keep the Cyclone as a river boat and buy another 20, 21 foot type boat yeah. to run lake races so that um, my boys could get out and ski more. Yeah. Uh, the lake races allow us to, you know, um, get more miles on their legs than the rivers. And as the, the program, as I was looking for boats, um, I came across the, the, the boat, the Sonic boats from New Zealand, the moulds for sale. Yes. And Good boats, I've raced them. Yeah, and yep. I'd, I'd previously driven uh, a, a Sonic um, called Big Bird that came out yes. from New Zealand. The Fritzes bought it over for when their son Jaron 
was uh, training up for the Worlds in 2007. Which he won. Yeah, which he won. So yep. I ended up driving him over here in the point schools. Yep. And I thought I was pretty happy with the way yeah. that the boat went around the lakes and, and stuff. And the moles come up and I thought, this might be a good opportunity. Um, carpenter, boat builder, doesn't really go together. <laughs> well, there's timber involved. Yeah, huh? not much. <laughs> uh, so uh, we ended up, you know, I took the, the, the gamble and I bought the moulds over from New Zealand and a um, good mate of mine, Steve Whitley from Whitley Boats, uh, helped me build the, the very first one. Yep. Uh, and we got that on the water with a, a 250 Evinrude on it and raced. We had a bit of, uh, I set them up and balanced them up differently than uh, the New Zealand guys did. Yeah. And it took us a little bit of time to, you know, get a handle on on, on the boat. We uh, we had we had some results, uh, but could see that there was a potential that, you know, this was going to be yeah. pretty good. So. And the E-Tech's become a thing by this stage, hasn't it? So yeah. we've, we've gone to the E-Tech engine, which is a 3.3 litre. 3.4 litre high pressure direct injection yeah uh with with a good gear ratio and you know it, it was it was a you know a competitive smock mode for sure. yeah and, and is your connection still with russell here now or yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so that's russell. followed all the way through yeah, yeah. yeah still to this day yeah uh yes yeah, we still chat and <laughs> catch up so uh so i built that boat I decided to, to put a program in place that each year I would build a boat for several years to you know get some out on the water. Yep. Um, and I sold that boat to the first boat to my brother Martin. Yep. And built uh, another boat that we ran. We got further ahead, more competitive, yep. closer to the front. Uh, sold that boat to Ross Harris, which he's still running, Harassment. Are you making build improvements as you're building the yeah. next boat? You know, that didn't work on this one. Yeah, each boat was built differently. Different, yeah. And then we went to the, the boat that was probably our most successful boat that we've had full time, which was the Roma, Roma Caravans boat that yep. most people remember, which is now Dragon, that um, yes. is up in AC2. Yep. Maddie, uh, Maddie Smith's driving it, I think. I don't know who owns Yeah, Matty Smith Maddie. was... Yeah, Ben... Yeah. Um, oh, Benny... Um, what's his name? <laughs> I've forgotten his name. Lost it. We'll edit that in. Yeah. Lumpy, we'll, uh, we'll sort that out because yeah. we... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know Ben too. Anyway, Lumpy, cut that out. Anyway, yep. So we, um, we, st- we put that boat on the water, the Roma boat, straight on the water, did not change in engine height, did not run one setting change in that from the first time it hit the water till the time that I sold it. <laughs> uh, we won seven, no, eight Australian titles in that boat in two years. We won the Southern 80. We the, we got the Chairman's Award at the Point Schools. Yeah, smocked. We just, just won everything. Won. Yeah. It was super fast, handled fantastic. Yeah. It was just one of those boats that everybody talks about. That <laughs> it was one of those boats straight yeah. out of the box. It yeah. was really good. What was different to that, to the boat beforehand? Nothing. Really? It was exactly the same yeah. set up as the boat before. Uh, Boy, I said that you can pull 10 boats out of a mould and you have 10 different boats, don't you? Yeah, like, it was just built at a different time of the year. Yeah. Uh, the weather was different, so potentially that had some... Some bearing some on Some bearing. I don't, don't quite know what... It, even to this day. I'd love to be able to <laughs> Since then, the two boats after, I tried to replicate it and haven't been able to get there. So well, tell me about that. So then you decided, obviously, that you wanted to go a little bit bigger. They changed the rules for us, uh, extending the boat length. Because we're in Formula 2 now, so we've we moved away from Smock. Smock, yep. F2 and Mock, we were yep. racing in. Yep. Um, the F2 was pretty much where the, the all the fields were moving, the... the competition moved from smock to f2 yeah so if you wanted to race boats that were fast and the best drivers and yep. the best of everything you had to race f2 yeah it, it really did probably kill off smock a little bit didn't it f2 yeah, it, it, it did oh i like the category but it, it it did that damage to other categories probably because it was an international class and you know for that's me right. that, that's what it was all about but yep it made uh, it made uh, owning a boat a 
quite a bit more expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, building bigger boats, super lightweight, you know, 300 horsepower engines. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a ute full of props. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was uh, it was competitive. So we needed to build a bigger boat. So we built a this boat that we got now is just over 20 foot, uh, and wanted to be you know a better rough water boat. Yeah. Not so much a river boat, but a better rough water boat. So yep. we could race F2 and be competitive, still with a 250 on it, so that we could do the R&D through SMOC um, and race the competitive racing in think, F2. Did BRP not do a 20-inch version of their 300 as well? I they think. do. They do they now? Did. Or did no, they not at the time? Or? They did at the time okay. as well. Uh, but I wanted to race in smock, so yeah, I okay. could do the extra racing. Yep. And the difference in horsepower between the 250 and the 300 is really not yeah. that much difference. So yeah. it makes it different when you're towing two skiers, but when you tow one skiers, the difference is not, not, as not much. that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, every now and then you'll get dragged off by a lighter boat. But, you know, <laughs> as soon as it chops up, you come back into your own. So, yeah. Uh, How did you go about? Extending that boat. I mean, obviously you change the mould. Do you cut yeah, we, it in half? What do you What do you do? Yeah, we cut it apart. We designed the deck from scratch. Yeah. Um, the hull was basically an extension of the the shorter boat, um, and then repositioned uh, fuel tank and ballast tanks and all those sorts of bits and pieces yeah. within the floor to balance. Try to get the balance right. Yeah. Uh, the first boat was once again a lot of hard work. Yeah. Try and get that balance right. Um, I remember you tearing your hair out at a few of the races, talking to you, and it was yeah, it, yeah. Wasn't, it wasn't just it wasn't the unicorn like the third. No, no, you know, it certainly wasn't. And we were also with a with a brand new Gen Gen two Evinrude. Yeah. That uh, different had, steering as well. Yeah, it had a bigger gearbox. It had a different gear ratio. It had hydraulic different steering. It, yeah. The motor setback was further. There is so many different yeah, things to try yeah. and get a handle on. Yeah. It's against all the principles of setting up a boat, isn't it? Change one thing at a time, but you had no option to change just one thing at a time. No. Yeah. And to be honest, the boat and the engine and the package was brand new. There was no one else in Australia running yeah. one. Uh, so we had no fallback. We had no, um, no data to... to yeah, you know, yeah. Pull yeah, on. you're a pioneer. You, you, but yeah. that's, that's part of the deal, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And ended up selling that first 20-foot boat to... Uh, um, guy in Sydney, it's called Hitman now. Yep. With a 300 Merc on it, um, it worked fine for them. They, they do 70 and social ski and everything, so that worked yep. out great for them. Yep. Built a new one with uh, quite a lot of changes that we worked on yep. through that 18 months with the first boat, and straight away it was a much better boat to drive, yep. much more competitive, uh, faster. So, you know, that R&D is still going to today. Yeah. Um, so that's the boat you're still running, yeah, running now. Yeah, still running now. Yeah. You know, we, they're, they're not river boats. You know, it's, it's just a bit big and, and heavy for the, to yep. be a fast river boat, but that's that's okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm satisfied. <laughs> you're okay with that. What we've achieved and, you know, we've, we've uh, you know, put Aiden, my son, back on the back to run the outball classes and yep. you know he's a ripping a, job too young he's a chip off the old block yeah he's like steve steve's taught him how to ski yep you know he's still lucky enough to have that that phone call when he gets back and says steve <laughs> well, this is going on and he, and he gets an answer so that's just been so beneficial yeah that's awesome he has natural natural ability yep. natural talent to yep. be able to ski uh, you know my boat as fast as i can drive it uh, so again, again, you've kept it in the family and you've got a good skier to go on with. Oh, you touched on uh, Jake Clancy before. I wanted to touch on the Clancy family because they've been a really big part of the last few years for you. Yes. Uh, they've been uh, part of our team for seven years now. Yep. Uh, Toad Jake uh, in his very, very first race at uh, Lake Boga and... He missed his start and <laughs> got to the first corner and let go and went back, picked him up, and he was letting it rip. And he was upset because he let go. Yeah. Not because Dis he couldn't do it. Disappointing and from himself. from that moment on, he's finished every single race. He, wow. He, 
determined young man yeah to uh to achieve and you know we've we've had some great results in caddies uh you know they they helped keep the you know the candle lit yeah they, those years where it was tough with the r d you know being yeah. able to tow the kids and get good results out of them because it was well within the uh, limitations of what we were doing with the boat and, yeah uh, that that was that was great, and um, you know then two years ago uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to tow uh, Jake and his mum Lisa. Yeah. Smock. Yeah, which is really cool. And won the Southern Eighty. Yes. It, yep. Uh, awesome. Which was fantastic. Oh no, <laughs> we, I think we got second at the Southern Eighty. Won Robin Vale. Okay. Yeah. With them and yeah. second at Mildura. So that was a, just an <clears throat> awesome thing to be able to tow. Yeah, you know, mum and son. It does that just doesn't happen very often. Pretty good ski racing family too. Mum and dad, both fantastic skiers. I told Lisa, oh, I'll tell you a quick story. She, I had my Red Hanes, which was my first boat. So it was 1993. I've come down to the boat to um, get in to do the race. I'm towing Lisa, and she's on the deck, just grinding the the sand into the deck of the boat with her ski. I'm like, we're gonna have a problem here, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> we still talk about it now, but. Uh, Lisa's a cracking skier. Peter was a fantastic skier as well, and yeah. um, now the kids, you know, and Jamie as well. The, yeah, their daughter. Been, able to, been lucky enough to be able to tow Jamie, you know, prior to off uh, Neil Donald uh, for a couple of runs last yeah. point score season, which was great. Um, yeah, love towing the two of them around together. We've been doing the the junior two up at the point score, so her development is out of sight. You know, is is as good as Jake's, and yeah, um, it's. It's been a privilege to be able to be part of that family. Yeah. They've welcomed us in with open arms as much as we've welcomed them into yeah. our team. And like you say, made a mutually beneficial arrangement. Yeah, you know? it's been great. And it was also about you know taking that step back to develop kids and give them opportunities. You know, it's it's been one of the most satisfying parts of ski racing is, you know, being able to tow kids that you know don't expect to get yeah. a run beyond a you know what we call you know a top end smock boat yeah you know they they they're wrapped so yeah. it's it's been great for us we've give we give them feedback hopefully make them better skiers and safer skiers so they you know their techniques are good and it's what it's about yeah you know, it's it's been a it's been a really been an honour yeah, to, yeah. to do it. It's been good. That's awesome, and that's what the sport's about, isn't it? It's yeah. just friends, family, and, and doing it the right way, and not having crashes and disasters and, and all that stuff. But mate, we're, we're getting towards the end because we're we don't want to take up all of your day, but and it's been a ripping chat. There's a few other things I do want to get through um, just quickly. Who's the toughest outboard driver you've run against? Do you reckon? Um, in, uh, in I don't mean the bloke that tries to crash into you the most. <laughs> no. I'd, 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 to be honest, uh, I'd, I'd have to say Brad Groves is yep. probably one of the toughest. Yep. Um, earlier days was uh, was Brad Witherden. Yep. Was super tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got to say, in, in the early days, uh, guys that have been racing for a while will... will uh, know of uh, Eric Barrows with Monza. Yeah, Eric, yeah. And my early days with the bullet racing Eric when he was in his prime at about 70. <laughs> <laughs> Not 70 mile an hour, 70 years <laughs> Yeah. Uh, taught me a lot about how to race side by side people. Yeah. Um, that was... That was, that was you and I both, mate. Awesome. Yeah, Eric was. Uh, yeah, he's uh, poor old Eric passed away a couple of years ago now, but yeah. um, not dissimilar to yourself. I mean, he raced his Monza boats, which were his own hulls, yeah. and he was an Evinrude. In fact, he was the Evinrude dealer in Frankston there in right. Overton Road in Frankston. Yeah, absolute yeah. superstar. I used to drop in for a cup of tea with him. Uh. So did I. <laughs> have a look at his old memorabilia and have a good old chat. It was. Uh, it was. It was, that was really, really good. Awesome. Well, that's uh, toughest commitment. Um, just probably want to finish up now, I guess. So uh, a couple of things. Um, where do you see the sport now? Where do you see us heading? Um, I think we all know the issues that we've got. Don't smirk at me like that. <laughs> what, what, what do you think we need to do? How, how do you think we're going to, you know, we've got COVID going on as well. Um, you know, we've got a lot of issues in the sport. Um, 
Yeah, that's right. Sports in a tough spot. Um, it's been a tough spot for a few years now. I think it needs to uh, consolidate. Um, it needs to, uh, you know, all of the all of the categories need to reduce and make the racing that is available in a smaller number a, a, a bit more. Uh, a, a, I'm, look, I'm not sure of the word. It's a bit more. <laughs> Uh, streamlined a bit of pitch strategic yeah into um yeah streamline the sport but make the those races a bit more important yeah um so that you know I, and it sounds odd from somebody who's been doing it for a long time but when i started there was only a few river races and yes. there, was only, there was more lake races yeah. than there was river races uh and you could tell that the you know the, the VSTC racing ended up dying away as the VWSA racing got stronger. Yeah. Uh, and that once again, it consolidated into a more condensed type of racing. Yeah. Um, and this era that we're in where people do lots of other yeah. sports, yeah. I just think that, you know, we just need to reduce what we do and, and make them, um, you know, more, I don't know, more enjoyable. Yeah, as you say, I mean, you, you, if there's a race every... And I uh, I did a, a podcast with Brady DeMix, which you haven't listened to yet and you have to, but um, he said exactly the same thing. Um, you know, he said, there's too many races that mean nothing, was his words. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably where you're going with it. There's a lot of races out there and, and do they mean anything? Are people getting excited about going to the race or are they going like you and I both? I know myself, sometimes I go, man, this is like a job. Yeah. You know, I raced last week, I've got to race next week, I've broken this, I've got to replace that, we've got to get to the venue. Yeah, I love doing it, but now this is just like working. That's right. So it's if there's there's definitely too many river races, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and in being involved with Robinvale and the running of Robinvale, how much time it takes is just crazy. And yeah. to have, you know, I don't know, seven is there seven river races? Yeah. Around that. Yeah. It's just like, that's just an amazing Not amount of time. Not sustainable, yeah. Um, the, the point scores, you know, the, um, the, the formats, you know, I, li- I like the one-day format. I thought that worked well. Me too. Um, I think we're outvoted though, really, yeah, unfortunately. The, you know, we could have reduced the numbers. We could have consolidated that more to, yeah. you know, um, change it. But... You know, I feel like going back to two days is that you've given up on something that was going to be a good thing. I thought it was, um, yeah. So, yeah. look, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if if you don't like it, you don't do it. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's where the problem was. Yeah. You know? So you've got to try and, you know, get this happy medium where, uh, you know, everybody is going to want to come. Yeah. You're not going to please everyone. No. But it's about making the majority of it work and then do what you've got, do it well. Yeah, I agree with you, mate. It's, um, yeah, less is more sometimes. Yeah. Isn't that what they say? All right, well, mate, we're going to wrap up. But the, the final thing, there must be a couple of big names out there that you have to thank for, you know, helping you out throughout your career. Um, you know, there's, who, who are the people that have really sort of influenced you and, and kept you going, I suppose? Well, team-wise is Steve and Martin, both my brothers. Yeah. Um, Kirky, uh, observing. Um, we've had many a helper along the way, which has been great. Uh, we've got to thank my wife, Nicole, for yep, putting, up, putting with up with you. Absolutely. So, you know, without her great um, acceptance of ski racing. And enthusiasm. Uh, Nicole loves to get to the races. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not so much anymore. Mm. She likes a couple of corporate ones. <laughs> so that that, that hits, hits well. Good. Uh, but, you know, it's still accepting of us that we, we are a ski race family. We are water skiers. We, we do like our sports. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's, a, that's something that if she didn't do it we probably wouldn't be doing it we'll be <laughs> yeah you know so that that's that's super important um so all look all of the competitors without the competitors and the committees that that run the sport yeah. uh you know you couldn't do it so you know being part of that on both sides is is great and you know we help out where we can yep um, absolutely but, you know, it's been enjoyable anybody that i uh i 
have missed. <laughs> oh, don't worry, you'll get the yeah. messages once the podcast comes out, mate. Yeah. yeah. What about me? It, it, uh, that's just the way it goes. Thanks. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rowie. Hey, mate. Thanks so much. Um, people are really enjoying these podcasts, and they love hearing the stories. And and especially with COVID at the moment, where people can't do anything, anything, especially us poor old Victorians. Yeah. Um, they've been really enjoying them, so I really appreciate you taking the time and um, always respected you as a driver and looked up to you, mate, so thanks so much. Respected racing with you, Dave. It's been great. Thanks, Good on you, mate. mate. Cheers. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed that chat with Tony Rowe as much as I did. It was a fantastic catch-up and always good to hear the great stories and what's going to be happening in the future. In our next episode, Mick Kelly sits down with the boys from Sports Page Racing, all the way from 8 litre right through to Unlimited. It's a great story, and we certainly hope you'll tune in to the next episode of On The Rope. This episode of On The Rope was brought to you by Coldies, Bull Bars and Tow Bars, Savage Force, and Automation and Robotics Services. It was produced by Boris the Boxer Productions in conjunction with Bisho Media, Mel's Media and Bad Lad Productions.